This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Friday edition of the Liverpool Blood Red podcast. I am your host, Connor Dunn, and today I am joined by two fine gentlemen in the form of Dan Kay. Dan, how are you? Very well, Connie, yourself? I am very well, thank you. Good, good. And I'm also joined by Paul Gorse. Tall Paul, how are you? Yeah, very well. Can't complain. Good. Very pleased to hear it. Well, we shall crack straight on because Liverpool played Sheffield United last night. They won 2-0. Goals from Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane. And to be quite honest with you, they were absolutely dominant. Managed the game really well. Brilliantly played. First 20 minutes, they were superb. Turned it on when they needed to. Just a thoroughly professional, excellent performance. Paul Gorse, you were there reporting on it for the Echo. What did you make of it? Yeah, I thought once once Liverpool scored the early goal, it didn't really look like it was going to be anything other than a Liverpool win. Uh, maybe in, in maybe two or three years ago, if Liverpool don't score early, the anxiety kind of filters through from the car onto the, the, the pitch and players start getting a little bit anxious and nervous and that isn't really the case anymore with Liverpool. So if you don't score, they just continue playing and playing and playing. But for maybe a little bit of a rarity, Liverpool did score an early goal. And then from then on, it looked like it was going to be a Liverpool win. I thought Dean Henderson was fantastic in the Sheffield United goal. He made several really good saves in the first half. He was unlucky with Mane's one for the second. He can probably count himself unfortunate, but I um, thought Liverpool played very well, considering this was the the end of a really energy-sapping run. I think it was the, the 11th Liverpool fixture in 33 days, and... I thought Captain John Henson was was, uh, was magnificent and uh, when he was in the team, I don't think anyone else would have allowed their own standards to drop because he just wouldn't have, have had any of it. He snapped into tackles throughout, he, he passed and he probed and he really uh, led by example, so I thought he was great. Um, good to see Salah and Mane on the score sheet. Um, almost a perfect evening for Liverpool, apart from Naby Keita's injury. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll come on to Naby Keita in a moment, but Dan, I, just, I want to speak about Jordan Henson first and foremost. You know, <laughs> Liverpool have missed Fabinho. He's been out injured and he's, you know, arguably the best defensive midfielder in the world right now and any team would miss him but they've now kept five clean sheets in a row in the Premier League, something not seen since September 2007 under Rafa and really Jordan Henderson has provided a masterclass in defensive midfielding and stepped up captain's performance every single time he needs to. It's been sensational, hasn't it? It has and it's, it's a very interesting kind of aspect to his, you know, to this next stage of his Liverpool career. Um, I don't think I would probably be alone in thinking kind of like maybe this time last year you were starting to wonder how much of a future you maybe really had at Liverpool because he, he you know, he'd never let the side down as such. But the evolution of the side, the evolution of Klopp's Liverpool had kind of reached a, to a certain point that there were clearly some of the biggest games of the season when he wasn't getting picked. Um, Fabinho, you know, in the latter part of 2018 and certainly by the early months of 2019 and absolutely nailed down that defensive midfield role. And Henderson then had this kind of like Indian summer playing in a slightly more advanced role um, and had a really strong end to the season with some big performances, big assists, big goals. And it kind of almost like reinvented himself as maybe a more attacking player. And I think that's maybe how we all of us saw the rest of his Liverpool career panning out. Then obviously uh, Fabinho did his ankle ligaments against Napoli towards the end of November and we don't really have anyone else that can play that role. So for Jordan to go back there in this position where you know maybe it wasn't his his best position, it did you know it did make you wonder well how is this how is this going to work out for him? But in actual fact, he's absolutely thrived and flourished in it, 
I wouldn't say to the extent that Fabinho is going to struggle to get his place back because I think when Fabinho is fit and ready, he will come back into the side and that hopefully will unleash Henderson potentially to play a bit further forward. But I just think it shows what an outstanding footballer he is. I mean, I had a um, rather heated argument with a, with a friend a couple of weeks ago after the World Club Championship. He was adamant that he's just he's, he's a he's a, wa- a water carrier is the expression he used. Um, and Best water carrier I've ever seen. Well, I mean, listen, you talk about damage. You know those trophies can hold a lot of water. <laughs> I, I seem to remember World Cup winning captain Didier Deschamps was was referred to as a water carrier. So. Um, yeah, the, the, I think there are worse labels you can have put on you but I think the, the way that Jordan's been able to kind of fill in again in this deeper role and just another example about what a great football brain he's got and how adaptable he is the fact that at pretty much zero notice and with no experience of playing that role he played at centre-back in the World Club Cup semi-final against Monterey a couple of weeks ago shows what an outstanding footballer he is an outstanding player he is and what, and what an outstanding captain he's turned into um, for Liverpool I think Gary Lineker tweeted after the game last night he may well be one of the possibly the most underrated player in Premier League history and I think that's probably a fair shout I mean I, I think the, the reality is there'll be some Liverpool supporters who will, ne- you know, who will never forgive him for not being Steven Gerrard and will always kind of damn him with faint praise because of that but I think it's great to see that the skipper is now getting the kind of recognition I, I think a lot of Liverpool fans believe he deserves not just from Liverpool supporters but from the wider footballing public as well yeah, look, Gorsi, before we move on, and just a, just a quick note, and if you go to watch Liverpool every week, you see what Henderson does off the ball, you see what he gives the team, you see what he does to players around him. Just a word on his character, just a word on his resilience, just a word on how he is as a player, just to lift everybody all the time in that squad. Well, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I think that some of his, um, of his best qualities, aren't they? And it was interesting to note that in, in his programme notes yesterday, talking about Joe Gomez, and he says everyone's delighted for him to basically return to the kind of form that we all know he can show and, and play because he hasn't had a particularly you know, easy start to the season, an easy few months. But he, he, he says in his notes, Henderson, that it isn't all about playing well all the time and, and you know being the best talent. It's about perseverance, elite-level football. And that basically sums up his own story at Liverpool, You know, written off so many times by so many people, uh, including Brendan Rodgers at, at the very beginning of his reign. He nearly sold him um, to the point where he's a... European Cup winning captain, the Club World Cup winning captain, um, the skipper of the best football team in the world at the moment. So you can't really speak highly enough to his character and his, as as he says himself yesterday, his own perseverance. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just stick you there mentioning Joe Gomez because, you know, much of the Liverpool clean sheets has been owed to the way he has stepped up. And again, he was absolutely sensational against Sheffield United, wasn't he? Yeah, he's timed his return to form superbly, really. I think Liverpool were really struggling, weren't they, in the Club World Cup when... Van Dijk was, was ill and obviously Lovren and Matip remain on the sidelines he's just come back into the form at the exact right time for Jürgen Klopp to the point where it really has eased the defensive crisis um, you wouldn't know that Liverpool have only got two centre-backs fit at the moment they've kept uh, I think they've only conceded four goals in the last um, in, in that 11 game run I think if, if you take away the, the Aston Villa game which has obviously got a huge asterisk over it with the, the academy team that played that night <clears throat> and Van Dijk um, alongside Gomez has, has been key to it. They've kind of struck up that understanding that they had at the beginning of last season when we all thought that Joe Gomez was blossoming into one of the best young centre-backs in European football. Um, he's been excellent for about three or four weeks now and he, he really has timed that return 
perfectly. Yeah, I was going to say, Dan, at the start of last season, obviously, when Liverpool were keeping all of those clean sheets and crazy defensive record, it was Gomez and Van Dijk in the heart of that defence who just looked superb. And now they've kind of, you know, Gomez obviously suffered a bit of injury and it's been a bit chop and change, Van Dijk and his partner. But Gomez looks to be kind of nailing down that position once again. What is it, do you think, makes those two tick just so well? They seem to get on really well, don't they? You know, both on the pitch and off the pitch. I noticed that the um, they did one of those LFC TV bezies thing yeah. um, a while back. So, they're, so they're obviously good pals, but yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to work. They're going to dovetail well on the pitch. I mean, you know, there is a school of thought to say that you could dress up a bin bag in a red shirt and put him alongside Van Dyke, and he'd look half decent. <laughs> but I think I think Gomez is just is just a very promising young footballer. I always go back to those first. Half, you know, less than, less than half a dozen games he played under Brendan Rodgers and at the start of 2015-16 at left-back in what was a really kind of quite a dark time for Liverpool when the, the team was pretty much hopeless and he was one of the kind of few shining lights at the start of that season. He's developed and evolved. Obviously, he's, he's a great physical specimen. He's tall, he's quick, he's got a good physique. One thing that's really impressed me in the last, you know, this this recent batch of games is his kind of, his, his willingness to bring the ball out of defence, his passing particularly out to the flanks. Obviously, you know, the Liverpool's fullbacks are such a, a fundamental part of our attacking armoury and setting them up with the right kind of balls to allow them to charge forward down the wings. He, he really seems to have kind of te- taken the lead with that, maybe even almost more than what Van Dijk has. Um, I just think they've, they, they, they dovetail be- beautifully together. I think it, it was quite a quick learning curve in many ways for, for Gomez. Because I'm right in thinking, I don't think, I, I think when he... He started alongside Henderson against Monterey in the semi-final in Guitar. That was probably only maybe his third or fourth game in this spell. Mm. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't think he was in the team at the start of the month. And yet, he, uh, Monterey, but particularly Flamengo, the final, who obviously you know, a very, very good team, champions of South America. I thought he was outstanding that night. You know, his, his, his reading of the game, his pace, his, his defensive nous and you know, his positional sense. I mean, listen, he's a young player. There's going to be occasions when he is going to get caught out you know, when you're playing at elite level yeah, naturally against it's... some of the top opponents Liverpool are. That's going to happen from time to time. But I think like a lot of this Liverpool team now, he's got a real kind of mental resilience that if he does have a, a wobbly moment, he isn't going to just go to pieces and fall apart and, and his, his head falls off. They have this... You know, Virtually every every member of the team, and as we were saying about Jordan Henderson, <clears throat> there's no finer example of him. They seem to have this kind of tunnel vision that kind of they can they can absorb a setback, put it behind them, and crack straight on without letting it kind of infect every part of the game. And um, I, th- I, th- I think I think Joe's a, a, a prime example of that. And um, I think he's got a really really big future ahead of him. He has had a few niggly injuries. Um, and hopefully, if he can if he can stay clear of them and get a real run of games under his belt. Joel Matip and Dejan Lovren, who I, I, I think are both top-class central defenders and absolutely worthy members of Liverpool squad, might find a diff- might find difficulties on their hands getting back in because if him and Van Dijk are clicking together, then why would you break them up? Yeah, exactly. It certainly is a cracking partnership in the back line. Um, and those who listen to me host this regularly will know I love a seamless link. And those who <laughs> have a cracking partnership in the head of the field are Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah. Effortless. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> but no, it was great to see both of them get back on the score sheet last night. Um, I want to ask you a two-part question, I think, Gorsi. How good is it for them to see them scoring? And how do they score with four, five defenders around them? It's great to see them score because they're, let's face it, they're Liverpool's chief goal threats at the moment, aren't they? Roberto Firmino um, brings a lot more to the side than just the amount of goals he scores. He actually still hasn't scored at Anfield this season. Um, But Salah and Mane are 
you know, the, the two goal getters aren't they, in this Liverpool team. Salah Pip Mane to it last season to the Golden Boot with 27 to 26, that penalty in Madrid being the one that, that got him over the line. And they've got a little personal duel going again, haven't they? Um, I think they're up to around about 13 or 14. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's it's healthy competition. They, they obviously had that little bit of a, of a lover's tiff at Burnley earlier <laughs> in the season, but that's all water under the bridge. They seem to know each other's game inside and out. And, and that pass for, for Mane yesterday from Salah was... Well, I, I don't know how I, 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 I thought yeah. Salah didn't pass to him. Well, that was the narrative. That's been put to bed, hasn't it, last night? It's a shame Henderson made the, the initial save, really, because that would have been a great way to, to yeah. finish off that move. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, their goals will be crucial to Liverpool now, but between now and the end of the season in every competition. So it's uh, good to see them back on the score sheet and looking threatening pretty much uh, with every attack. So how do they score then? Just sheer utter talent. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two world-class attackers at the, the peak of the powers. Um in terms of the, the African Football of the Year awards, it's always going to be them two alongside yeah. someone like Pierre Hemmerich or Bamiang. Those three were the, were the uh, shared the golden boot in the Premier League last season, didn't they? So you'd expect something similar again. Obviously, from the Ballon d'Or awards, those two are in the top five, were they, this yeah, season? Yeah. yeah. So Liverpool are, are lucky to have both of them. They are both world class attackers, so skillful, so quick. Uh, both got great eye for goal, and um be interesting to see which one of them comes out on top. Yeah, I only just wanted to mention that because there's just so many occasions where Sheffield United just has so many players yeah. around him and just thinking, how are you even getting out of that? And I'm thinking, you know, Salah's not that much bigger than me at 5'6". <laughs> I pretend 5'6". I mean, I'll get, I'll get <laughs> away with it. But I mean, when you've got three or four, six foot, four, six foot two defenders around you, you're strong, quick. It's just unbelievable, really. But anyway, we could talk about everyone in this Liverpool team all day. Yeah. And I want to have a quick note on uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Dan, because... Some of his passing last night was simply outrageous. Mm. I mean, there's been a lot said in the last couple of weeks, hasn't there? Particularly since that game at Leicester, that he's more than just a fullback, and in many ways he's becoming one of Liverpool's main playmakers. And he kind of alluded to it in his interview after the game, didn't he? When he basically <laughs> took a little cheek at Gary said, Neville, didn't he? Well, it's that famous line, isn't it? No one wants to be a fullback or a Gary Neville, but I think. That is changing. and um, well, Who wouldn't it, want to be a Trent Alexander-Arnold right now? Well, yeah. his influence on Liverpool's team um, is becoming more and more significant, I think, with, with, every, passing, with every passing game and every passing week. When you, can, when you consider he's only, what, 21? Was he 22 yeah, now? 22. 21. No, 21, is he still? He's 22. He was 21 in October. Oh, yeah. Wow. wow. So, <laughs> and, and you think, you know, with the, you know, he's got vast experience already under his belt, two Champions League finals, probably... I'd imagine knocking on 100 Premier League games or we wouldn't be too far off it now. Yeah, around the boat, yeah. Um, but most importantly, and this, you know, this, and Chris Wilder mentioned it in his interview after the game, the mentality of Liverpool comes from the top and this desire, this motivation, this hunger to not be satisfied with being top of the league, to not be satisfied with being world champions, European champions, this constant thirst to improve and to be better... Jurgen Klopp and his and his management crew have set the tone, and it does seem to kind of drop, you know, to go down every level of the club now, and that's what gives you know me as a supporter great hope and great belief that not just there's every chance that Liverpool will fulfil the expectations that we've all got from them this season, but also that this, this is not the end point, that this is a young team that wants to continue being successful, to continue winning trophies, to continue pushing the boundaries of 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 the football that they're playing. And Trent is, a, uh, Trent is a fine example of that. There's one clip that's gone kind of viral on social media from 
Uh, I think Check it, it out if you've not seen it's it. It's unreal. It, it, so we, Trent's in the right back position. We're, it, so it would be first half Liverpool attacking the, the Annie Rothand. And he's in like the corner of the Kemlin and the Cop. And he plays this crossfield pass to left-footed to Robertson, Robertson. But with his left foot, and he see, it seems to kind of defy geometry to a yes. certain degree. The way he cuts across the ball with a, with kind of like a bit of fade on it. And Robbo almost kind of like lets it go behind him, but then just kind of like just it it moves just yeah. perfectly into his path for him to move up the left flank. I just don't even know how you kick a football like that. And I actually, I, I do play from time to time. Yeah, I'll be, I, I'm, not, I'm not too badly either, Cotter, I would say. I haven't, I haven't seen you in action. But this kid is, you know, at 21, I think, already right up there in terms of the the footballers that our great city has produced and it's a privilege to watch him play and you know realistically hopefully we've got 10 plus years more of it so well yeah the point is in this next decade you could have we will have major stars like Messi Ronaldo they're all going to be retiring and the likes of Trent Alexander are, are going to be global superstars. They are going to be the players people are looking up to, the best players on, on the planet. And it's such an exciting time. And the, and the beauty part as well for Trent is that you kind of get the impression if Liverpool are yeah. competitive, it would be. He's yeah. where's he going to go? Where's he going to want to go? He's Absolutely. not going to want to go to Barcelona or Real Madrid if Liverpool is still competing. So yeah. it's, it, it's potentially very happy days ahead. Certainly is. Um, one thing that was a little bit negative for Liverpool last night, Paul Gorst, was Naby Keita. Injured in the warm-up, groin injury. Milner had to come in and did very well, of course, as he would. But it's just another setback for him, isn't it? It's so disappointing. Yeah, it's uh, becoming a bit, a bit of a groundhog day, isn't it, for Navigator? Play well, get injured, rehab, return. Play well, get injured, rehab, return. It's, it's been the story of his Liverpool career for the past 18 months since he joined, really. Um, but I think I think this is, this is one of those injuries that Jürgen Klopp would have been absolutely furious about because, you know, he he bangs the drum time and time again for a reduction of fixtures around this period. And he's not alone. He's not the only manager to, to make the point. Steve Bruce made the exact same point earlier this week when his team played Leicester. Fabian Shear gets injured early into the second half and they have to play the entire second half with 10 men because he's already made his subs. And it's basically and just... He made a, his subs because of injuries. Exactly, mm. yeah. It, it's, it's a hamstring tweak because of the amount of games and, and the amount of pressure that he... These players have been asked to play. Harry Kane pulled up with a similar injury himself, didn't he? And I've got no doubt that this might be a similar thing for Naby Keita, even though we know he is prone to one or two niggles um, out of you know the the, the jam-packed fixture schedules. Um, so it's a disappointment for him, disappointment for Liverpool at a time when he really was in form, wasn't he? He was yeah. having a great time of it across December. We'll wait and see how long he's going to be out for, but unfortunately he won't be involved against Everton this weekend. And he might struggle to, to feature against Spurs as well. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. What is injury means for Liverpool, Danny? Because obviously with Shakiri out, and with Oxley Chamberlain out, and with Fabinho out, and you think that's such well-stocked midfield, that engine room, where there's so many players to play, is dwindling pretty quickly. Mm. And you think on the bench against Sheffield United, you had two senior outfield players in Origi and Alana, alongside four Youngsters, basically, Nat Phillips, they got back from Stuttgart, Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones and Nico Williams. It's not a great situation for a you know team challenging for the Premier League to be in, is it? It's not. But, I mean, Jurgen Klopp made the point in his press conference earlier today that, you know, everyone's in the same boat to a certain degree. And the people running the game really have to sit down and take a long, hard look at things and think about what they're doing. You know, we all love football. We all love having football matches on the telly. We all love having lots of football to go to over Christmas. But Klopp made the point himself about about quality 
ahead of quantity. Mm-hmm. And the, there is a danger, and this isn't just him having a whinge because he's you know because of the top of the league and we've got a few injuries before a big FA Cup tie. As Gorsi alludes to, there's a lot of managers in the same boat here. And I just think they have to, you know, there, there have already been certain kind of acknowledgements that there is, that, that it's an issue. This is the first, you know, in, at the start of next month, the start of February, we have our first winter break, which is essentially, you know, one game of, one set of fixtures played over two weekends. So at least you get a week off. So that, but, but that is, that is indicative that the powers that be know that there's an issue here. Um, you know, the, the, the League Cup has already made some steps by doing away with penalties before, well, doing away with replays and then doing away with extra time yeah. before penalties. I think that's a step in the right direction. And I think the FA Cup, I mean, you know, this is maybe a slightly different topic because, you know, for probably... One, well, what should we be coming on to in a couple of minutes' time? <laughs> you crack on. Sorry, sorry to jump the gun there. I mean, you know, there's a lot, a lot been said about the FA Cup in recent years and how teams don't take it seriously. And for someone of my age who grew up in the 80s when the FA Cup was absolutely on a pedestal. I mean, you talk to you know, the likes of Jan Molby. When he came to play for, for play in England in the 80s, the FA Cup was seen as bigger than winning the league. It was seen as the FA Cup final was bigger than the European Cup final. So I'm of an era that will always revere the FA Cup. And I think if you want teams to start taking it seriously, then you've got to give them a chance to. Now, now, now Klopp made the point that, obviously, we've, we've come to the end of this so-called festive, pitch, uh, festive period, but there isn't exactly much of a break for Liverpool. And obviously, there is the potential, if there's a draw on Sunday, of a replay. Now, much though I, you know, I'm old enough to remember second and third replays and the kind of the certain charm that that held, I just think those kind of gay days are gone. And I think if, you know, I, I think the FA Cup needs to get rid of replays. Um, because unfortunately, until that, I think Chris Wilder said after the game, he's going to make 11 changes before that. I think that, I think they're playing AFC Fargo, are they? Not a non-league team. Um, now, and I think, I think I'm right in saying Sheffield United lost to a non-league team in Barnet at home last year. Now they got promoted to the Premier League. So in the big grander scheme of things, no one's no going to criticise them too much for that. But I think if the FA Cup really care about the future of their competition, which is the oldest cup competition in the world, still revered right across the planet, then they need to just have a little bit of a think about what they're doing because until it changes, you are going to see managers, some people will call it disrespecting the cup by by naming lesser teams, but as Klopp put it in his press conference today, his primary duty of giving respect is to his players. Yeah. And when you put it like that, it's difficult to argue with. Yeah, well, to you were at Klopp's rest conference, weren't you? And uh, firstly, before we come on to, you know, his really passionate pleas for player protection and, you know, how it all stemmed from the fact they could be faced with a replay against Everton. He gave a few injury updates, didn't he? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I say updates. It's it's basically (laughs) the, the, the news is there is no news, essentially. I mean, he said it was probably a little bit too soon to make a call on Naby Keita. It's going to be no Joel Matip, no Fabinho, no Diane Lovren. Um, obviously, Nathaniel Klein's still out. So Liverpool have, have, have got the injuries piling up. There's five players who would have reasonably have been in the frame to play uh, tomorrow had they not been injured. So it's um, the injuries are piling up for Liverpool. We'll wait and see what happens. Matip now has been out since October. Um, really has been a long one for him. Diane Lovren struggling with, it, with a hamstring injury. We know about Fabinho's ankle ligaments. Seen him at the game yesterday after the match, walking freely on, on two feet, which is good news for him. So we'll wait and see how much further he's out from his initial six to eight weeks, which was the beginning of December. Um, but yeah, Liverpool are walking wounded at the moment. Yeah, certainly are. Um, and Klopp, you know, I know you wanted to mention this about, you know, 
Klopp went on for quite a long time, mm. it's fair to say, yeah. about the fixture schedules, about the festive fixtures, about the protection for players, about what needs to happen. Maybe, you know, as you said before this podcast, some fans will take that and be like, oh, Klopp's having a go, Klopp's having a whinge, Klopp's having a moan again. But it's actually a little bit more than that, isn't it? Yeah, well, on Christmas Eve, Klopp made the point that teams having to play twice in 48 hours is a crime and, and they were the words he used and didn't affect his team. They were quite fortunate over the Christmas break that they had the, the extra day. Um, but Wolves, ironically, had seen Liverpool were facing and had to play Manchester City and Liverpool within 48 hours and that can't be right for the players' well-being, can it? And as we've already mentioned, there have been plenty of injuries already picked up across this busy period of fixtures. Um, but, I mean, we, we, we'll report it the way, the way Klopp is, is saying it, but sometimes on social media, these huge accounts mm-hmm. tweet it out as Klopp's having a moment to entice rival fans to share and, shall, shall we say, you know, expand their reach. Um but basically, when Klopp says stuff like this, it really is everyone listening. Um, you know, we'll listen and we'll report it as it was intended. But people will just look to try and you know take the Mickey a little bit and um, grow their social following. But I think Klopp needs to be listened to on this because he's not the only one saying it. You know, you've got Pep Guardiola saying the exact same thing. Steve Bruce has, has said something similar, and I'm pretty sure if you asked every Premier League manager, they would make a similar complaint. Uh, Klopp basically urged. Um, these football authorities to talk and, and basically speak to the people involved, the managers involved in the clubs and try and come to a solution that helps everyone where players aren't being asked to perform at elite level against, you know, like Wolves, against the two best teams in the world in Manchester City and Liverpool in 48 hours because it can't be right for Wolves' ambitions, it can't be right for players' well-being, which is ultimately the, the first and foremost, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll come on to speak a little bit about Everton now because they are Liverpool's next game. They are the FA Cup fixture that the Reds are faced with. Um, it certainly presents a tricky challenge and not one they'd be welcoming in the third round, the first round they're in of the FA Cup. Um, I'll stick with you for this one, Gorsi, just for now because you're in the press conference. I think Klopp has got a little bit of a headache around Minamino. He's brought him in. Do you give him his debut in the derby? It's going to be quite feisty. Never really would have played in English football before and Everton will want to let them know they're there, as yeah. the old saying goes. But is his hand going to be forced a little bit? What do you think? I, th- I think it will be, yeah. Um, you, may, you kind of got asked the comparison with Virgil van Dijk, who came in two years ago and his debut was against Everton, but Klopp made the point that he'd been injured with Southampton, he hadn't played a lot of football and decided on the day that he was going to throw him in. Minamino's had about three or four training sessions now, so he's a little bit acclimatised, more than Van Dijk was two years ago. Um, and I don't really think he's got too much of an option. Um, I think if he looks to rotate and, and give you know, Mane and, and Salah the evening off, then who else is he going to pick? Because options are so stretched at the moment. So I think Minamino will be thrown into the, uh, the deep end for his Liverpool debut and hopefully he's got something in his locker to make himself an instant hero. Yeah, we'll come on to a full team selection in a minute, Dan. But do you think Klopp has to pick Minamino for this game? I don't really see that there's an awful lot of other alternatives to him. Um, bearing in mind, as you said before, yeah, the, <clears throat> the midfield engine room is probably the area where Liverpool, where the majority of Liverpool's casualties lie at the minute. Um, I think he, he, he didn't say in explicit terms, but I think you know it, it's clear that he he is going to have to rotate the squad and use some of the less lights and put some of the kids in. Um, 
Ghosty made the point as well. You're not not just um, Minamino's had a, three or four training sessions with the club, but also as opposed to Van Dyke two years ago, <clears throat> he's been playing regularly for Salzburg right up until Christmas, and he's actually had the benefit of a couple of weeks off. Mm-hmm. I think I think yeah. the club actually said he'd actually gone back to Japan for a couple of, for a short period. Of time yeah, well, as well. Th- that's why he was able to, to complete his medical because. Obviously, yeah. that there was no games well, in Klopp Austria. said he was in good yeah. shape when he came over, isn't he? So. Yeah. So, so, so we should be in reasonable shape while at the same time having had, you know, a reasonable amount of relatively recent football, but also having had a bit of rest in his legs. So, you know, I, I understand the concern in terms of it's a derby match. It's mm-hmm. going to be helter-skelter. As you say, Everton will not be shy in letting him know that they're there. But... Um, you know, there is a historical precedent of two years ago, so I fully expect to see him soaring at the cop end with four minutes to go <laughs> and nodding a Virgil van Dijk corner into the back of the net, hopefully. Yeah, fair enough. I, again, I'll, I'll stick with you here, Dan. You mentioned it briefly there about Everton letting him know they're there. Ancelotti spoke in his press conference earlier today. The last time he was in the FA Cup, he won the competition. He has a lot of respect for this competition. And, you know, he'll be looking at this as a chance to bring some silverware to Everton for the first time, you know, that he can. What are you expecting from Everton? I'm expecting pretty much a full-strength Everton squad backed with 8,000 screaming Everton lunatics in the away end to come and give it everything because this, you know, sometimes we can say, oh, it's your cup final in a kind of slightly derogatory sense and whatever, but the reality is Liverpool are the best team in the world, runaway league leaders, but this is a very, very tricky match for us because we've got obviously our heart set on winning the title with this lead that we've got and, and a scratch squad. Everton know that, that that it's a perfect time in many ways to come to Anfield because we're in this kind of stick or twist situation. Yeah. And that kind of uncertainty is dangerous in a, in, in a derby and dangerous in a cup tie. Um, you know, what also will be sticking in their heads is that you know there are numerous examples in Merseyside derby history of occasions when it's all set up for Everton and for whatever reason the fates have conspired against them and they haven't managed to make it happen. But they're obviously on a crest of a wave over the last month or so, started by Duncan Ferguson, expanded on by Ancelotti with two good wins in his first two games and then, you know, a relatively narrow defeat at Man City the other night. So I think they will come and have a go and be desperate to win. And obviously, if they, if they take it back to a, a replay at Goodison, that's fine as far as they're concerned. It's no skin off their nose, yeah. obviously, they'd rather win. Um, whereas, you know, in some ways that would be almost Liverpool's... Well, I think for, for some people that would be Liverpool's worst case scenario. Not for me. I mean, you know, I, I love the FA Cup. I love a derby. I want Liverpool to go through. I want Liverpool to win the treble this year. So I would rather I would rather replay than see us get knocked out. But um, it's, 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 it's an absolutely fascinating kind of context and build up to the fixture. And it'll be really interesting to see not just the two 11s that are named, but how the match itself actually pans out on Sunday. Yeah, I'm sure that Ancelotti's probably mentioned to his players that he's the only manager to beat Klopp this mm. year. Um, they're obviously good friends off the pitch. There'll be no love lost on it. How do you kind of see the match panning out? It's the perfect storm for Everton, isn't it? Liverpool, um, Everton haven't beaten Liverpool and Anfield for 21 years now. 18 games in total since the last one in October 2010. It's been absolutely miserable for Everton. Eight, uh, ten draws and eight defeats in that time. But they'll never have have come to Anfield in that time frame with more optimism, um, more excitement. Brand new manager at the helm, a world-class elite-level manager. They're on a little bit of form coming into a game that Liverpool are going to rest so many players. They'll be licking their lips, to be honest, Everton fans coming across Stanley Park, all 8,000 of them, as Dan says. Um, 
it's going to be a difficult one. And Jürgen Klopp was asked actually in the press conference, does the fact that it's Everton influence you at all? And he said, no, he said, how can it be? That wouldn't be sensible if it did. Which I can understand him saying, but Liverpool fans will be absolutely screaming, please Jürgen, don't throw this one in, we can't lose this one. <laughs> with, with good reason, I mean... I, I made, so many records. Yeah, I, I made the point, I think it was uh, earlier this week on one of our pods, to think if you're offered Liverpool fans victory and then give Everton the, the bye for the FA Cup, I think they'd, they'd take that. Um, and with Dan, I, I think I don't think a replay would be the, the worst case scenario yeah, for Liverpool. Absolutely. Um, even if they, they were to you know tumble out in the replay, um, Liverpool fans just really want to keep alive that 21-year record, um, I'm led to believe. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I totally understand the point and it, it makes total sense, doesn't it? Um, I guess we'll come on to pick a team now because it's going to be a mighty interesting team selection from Klopp and a mighty interesting team selection for a derby at that. Um, for me, in goal, I think it's got to be Adrian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, if you're asking me what team I'd pick just to, to keep alive that record, <laughs> I'm picking Van Dijk and Gomez. Your strongest possible yeah, eleven. Yeah, yeah. Six mean, days off until Pick Tottenham. a team that you think is going to turn out, I think. I think it. I think it might be Nico Williams at right back. Yeah. Um, I think it might be Gomez and Nath Phillips. Yeah. And the left back's a difficult one because there aren't too many midfielders, so you can't really throw Milner in there. So I think Robertson might start. Okay. Mm. You in agreement with that back five? Well, I've actually jotted down my little team here. I mean, I was thinking about the Rucci left back. Um, it's a very inexperienced defence yeah. though, isn't it? I, well, so I was only thinking about him, yeah. and I have actually got I him. absolutely love Yas Larucci, you know. Yeah. Every time I speak about him on the pod, I rate him so highly. But yeah. I even thought about Gomez at left-back, but yeah, because that, that's where his, as I was going about, where his initial Liverpool games came. But I don't think he's played there in quite a long time. Mm-hmm. So I've actually gone for Milner at left-back, and I would actually play Van Dijk. Okay. Um, partly the kind of historical thing. It, it, I mean, it is literally two years to the day as well. It's January the 5th. Was it really? It, a... it was the Friday the 5th, yeah. two years ago, Sunday the 5th this time. Love an omen. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I, it worries me that Gomez and Phillips just might be a, a little bit too raw between the two of them. I'm not saying he had his, his pipe and slippers out yesterday, but there were times during that. I mean, I wasn't at the game. I was working in here and watching it live blogging from the screen. But um, you know, there was a couple of times when Van Dyke seemed a bit bored yet against Sheffield United and he was that going on his little foreign. Yeah. yeah. When he went on the, the little run in the first yeah. half he yeah. just turned into a number 10. So I'm, I'm not so saying that you know he basically hasn't got a sweat on the la- in the last couple of days so we so we deserve it so we should play but I just kind of think he, it, it that wasn't... That is how he plays though isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and, and it, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it wasn't the most intense game he's played of the season mm-hmm. so I think asking him to go again and then obviously the knowledge that he's got six full days off before Tottenham away and he's the captain, he's the figurehead, his presence in a derby. You know, in any sport, it's often talked about, you know, what you want to do is do what you're... You want to do what your opponents least want. And if they see his name off the team sheet, Everton, it's a huge lift for them. Yeah, Whereas if they true. see six foot five of them in the tunnel beforehand, it's like, all right, they've got a few kids out, but that big fella's still there at the back. So I just think psychologically seeing him out on the pitch is quite important. Yeah, talk, talk me over. Talk to you around. Go with that, yeah. Do you know what? I was going to stick with you, but yeah, I'll take Van Dijk in the back line all day. Um, I think Robertson plays as well, to be honest with you. Um, I think they're going to go with a bit of a stronger defence than maybe Klopp would have liked to have. Mm. But mm. it just, Milner in that position, I think you're going to have to play him in midfield for me. Um, but anyway, mm. what would be your midfield three? Assuming you're going 4 3 3, Paul Gorst. Yeah, so I'm, t- I'm trying to find the spot for Curtis Jones. I don't know whether that's in midfield or. On the front three, um, I think Milner will play. 
Henderson will probably want to play, but I think he he expended so much energy last mm-hmm. night. I think it's going to be difficult for him to put in a similar kind of performance against. I'm on the against bench. Everton. Yeah, um, Wan Alden was the same though. I thought he was excellent again. Mm. He'd missed a few games lately, hasn't he? So mm. yeah, may, maybe maybe we'll go with Wan Alden, Milner, Lalana, Lalana. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no one else, is there? Really, that would be mm. my three, to be honest. I mean, initially I'd gone with a, a much more a much more inexperienced one of Lalana, Curtis Jones, and Minamino. Um, but I think in the same way that I've swayed you over Van Dyke, you might have swayed me over Robertson. I was reading one or two reports last night, and they were saying that Robertson played really well against Sheffield United. But he, he, he looks a bit tired. I think maybe all our players have looked a bit tired, but there's no, another sort of thought that says you, you feel less tired when you're winning. Yeah. And if he gets to play and win another derby game, and then again he's got six days to put his feet up before Tottenham. So yeah, I, I think I'm going to go for. Milner, Lalana, Minamino. Okay, I was going to play Minamino further up the pitch. To be mm, honest, yeah, um, he was going to be in my front three, but he's on the pitch for whatever happens. Yeah. Um, somewhere. I think Rigi plays definitely. Mm. I think, I think Curtis Jones will probably be up on the left, and Minamino will be up on the right. Yeah, that that'll be mine. I think it's a great opportunity for Curtis Jones. Actually, um, obviously, City centre born, eighteen year old scouser. Made a, making a little bit of a name for himself now in, in the first team. Um, go and do your stuff yeah. on, on the left against Everton. Absolutely, yeah. I, th- I think I think he, more than anyone probably, because that's a relatively senior side that we've picked, and if that is the team, I think Jones will take the bit between his teeth and think, look, this yeah. is my chance to show that I can mix it with the big boys. It's a strong spine, isn't it? It'll be exciting yeah. to um, see. Yeah, I'm throwing Harvey Elliott in. Instead of? Um, oh well, you obviously haven't you picked me in your midfield, haven't you? Yeah, so I'm going Origi, Elliot, and um, Jones, Curtis Jones. Yeah. Okay, fair good, enough. Good well. to have a couple. Yeah. Well, well, at least at least with Curtis Jones, and then we've still got we've got a scout in the team, which I think is important on Derby Day. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Well, it's certainly a, an interesting team selection upcoming from Klopp. Paul Gorst, give me your score prediction, please. One one. Oh. Ooh. There's not many listen to this who would like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go Liverpool 3, Everton 2. Ooh. I am going to go Liverpool 2, Everton 1. Anyway, that concludes today's pod. Keep this in your mind. If <laughs> Liverpool beat Tottenham in the next Premier League game, it will be the best top flight start in history. And what a wonderful achievement that would be, along with all the other achievements that have been so far this season and hopefully more to come. We will be back on Monday when we'll be discussing the Merseyside Derby FA Cup third round where we hopefully will be discussing Liverpool win. Happy New Year, everybody. Enjoy yourselves and enjoy the derby. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.